Before we start the broadcast of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast, I just wanted to make you all aware of the official sponsors for the 2023 series. Our agency are a full-service digital creative agency specialising in branding, web and content creation. They are delivering results in Wakefield for organisations such as Trinity Walk and the Wakefield Cathedral. And they offer upfront, no-nonsense marketing to help you achieve your goals. Drop them a line, follow them on all their social media accounts or take a look at their website and make our agency your agency. If you're a local business in the Wakefield area and interested in sponsoring the podcast, drop Lee or Jamie a message on the Heritage social media accounts and we'll get back to you as quick as we can. Now, over to you, Cammy. Hi, it's Cammy, Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to episode 107 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast. Before we introduce our guest this evening, let me first pass over to my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. How are we doing, dad? Hello and welcome back to uh, Monday Night's podcast. Uh, we're filming this on a, a couple of couple of nights earlier. It's lovely outside, no rain. We're having a good run with the weather. Uh, this week, we welcome an Ormington lad who had a, an 18, 19-year rugby league career from uh, from way back 2006 he started, but he found a home at Bellevue in 2012, playing 56 games in his two seasons with us. This week is a warm welcome to firm crowd, crowd favourite, Benny Cocaine. Benny, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks for having me, lads. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Good stuff, mate. You, you came with firm recommendations from your good mate Danny Kermon, mate. So you've got some something to live up to now. <laughs> well, Kermit, I'm sure Kermit will talk to your ear off about a few things. So maybe we've got a few stories to share. I don't know, but we'll see. We'll just see how it pans out. I love Kermo. Uh, probably the probably the best um, the best captain that I've played under in terms of um, just his ability to to bring a group together. Um, and his, his calmness and just how laid back he was, really. Uh, and I think when I played with him at Wakefield, he probably played some of his his, uh, his better years. I'm sure he would say that himself. I know I certainly did. And I think that comes with um, being part of a group that you feel uh, you feel comfortable with. And Kermo certainly made everybody feel that way. So, yeah, absolute pleasure to uh, to, to play alongside him. Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. The first question we ask in this podcast, mate, to, to every guest is the same one. So I'm going to fire the same over to you as well, Benny. What What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? Uh, Richard Agar. Richard <laughs> Agar is the first thing that comes to my mind because he was the guy that brought me to the club. And uh, it, quite interesting how it came about with Richard. He, um, he used to live, when I was growing up, uh, my parents bought a house in Normanton. On like, it was like a new build estate. Oh, sorry about that. Let me just. Can you hear that bell ringing? No, no, it's all good. No. All good, mate. Sorry, I've just got a bell ringing here, guys. Let me just turn it off. It's uh, an alert that's popped up on me. The joys that's of live good. podcasting. This. <laughs> yes. Sorry, right, mate. For that, lads. No worries. Carry on. Mate. Um, yeah. So, so, so Richard Egg, I used to live up the street from me, and um, when I grew up, I was a little cheeky kid on the street, and uh, I knew that he used to play rugby. There was a guy called Craig Booth who lived over the road from Rich as well, who played at. Um, I think Craig were playing at Hunslet at the time, uh, Castleford lad. And them two were like the rugby lads on our 
estate. Paul Anderson lived a bit further around the estate, all big uh, blue. Um, so so that's how me and Richard knew each other, and um, he we always got on. You know, he, we always got on, and like I said, our little cheeky kid on his street really probably saw me as that kind of character. And um, when I were at Featherstone at the back end of 2011, he just gave me a call. He said, uh, I can't remember if we were just about to take over Wakefield or he were already in charge, but he just said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm with Wakefield and um, I'm putting, a, I'm trying to put a team together. I want you to come along, but there's some terms and conditions. <laughs> I mean, at that, at that stage of my career, there were, uh, I don't think many, t many people were going to touch me with a barge pole really. Um, and, and Richard obviously being a, uh, you could say to some degree a family friend, uh, somebody who certainly knew me as a person uh, more than any of my other coaches I've done in my career. He um, he said, I want to give you a crack with us at Bellevue, but just so you know, Kath wants you to agree to X, Y, and Z before you come. So, uh, so, so that were it. So, so when I when I do think of Wakefield Trinity, Richard comes to my mind straight away. Um, alongside of that uh, comes Billy Conway because Billy Conway is obviously a uh, a Wakefield player from way back in the day and Billy was a guy that um, not many people might know this but if it weren't for Billy Conway I probably would have never had a professional rugby league career so Billy I played with him in my amateur days at Normington I was serving in the armed forces but I was coming home every weekend and because I weren't training through the week I just played with the second team and Billy were um, Billy were playing at the time he played seven I played six uh, and he just used to set me up for try after try after try playing with, with second team at Normanton. And uh, he was always trying to get me uh, a gig whenever he could, like trying to get me a trial here and there. And funnily enough, I went to Wakefield for a trial. Uh, I believe it were the under-21s at the time. Johnny Thompson were coaching the uh, the, the the young team. What are the under-21s? I think it were the under-21s. Anyway, Johnny were coaching. Billy knew Johnny. Put me in touch, got me down, had a few games with um, with Trinity Academy, and um, it will come to the end of the year, and I were going to be too old to play again the next year. So the coach at the time was Shane McNally, uh, and he said, um, he said, well, no, you're not good enough to progress any further from here. So sorry, there's nothing, nothing for you. So on the back of that, uh, I carried on serving in the armed forces, coming home every weekend or whatever. Billy then gets me a trial at Hunslet. Um, played at Hunslet under Roy Sampson. Um, had one or two games. Roy turned around and told me I weren't good enough. <laughs> You're not good enough to play at this level, so I'm going back to your amateur club. Um, and then good old Billy, God bless him, uh, again, said, right, I've got your chance at Donny. Singer's going to give you a crack at Donny. Go, go there for the pre-season. Uh, he'll give you a run out in the, I think it was, the, it was either the Northern Rail Cup or the Arriva Cup at the time. And he said, Billy's, Billy said, uh, Singer said he'll give you a run out in the Areva Cup as like a trial period for you. Get stuck in, young and do your best and let's let's see what happens. And on the back of that, uh, by good fortune, um, good fortune for me, uh, the fullback at the time at Doncaster quit pretty much after the Northern Rail Cup or the Areva Cup series before the season was about to kick off. And Singer came to me and he said, have you ever played fullback? Bear in mind in the trial games, they were playing me at scrum half. Um and I said, no. He said, do you fancy it? I said, yeah, absolutely. Just anything really to get a crack. And that was, the, that was the start of my career then. So a bit of good fortune, a bit of persistence from Billy Conway. Um, and then, like you said at the beginning, 17 years on or whatever, we've ended up having a, 
a nice decent career. So they're two really prominent figures for me when it comes to Wakefield Trinity um, and, and my career because I think it'd be fair to say that my, my, my career were well and truly resurrected at Wakefield as well when it were pretty much in the in the shit pot prior to that. What a great way to start the podcast, Benny. Superb stuff, mate. But growing up, growing up around Normington, I never knew you were kind of involved in the armed forces. Was that always a path for you or did you always have that firm eye in the distance of being in rugby? Well, I, I growing up as a, as a young lad, my age group was the likes of, I don't know if you might, some of these names might be familiar, Adam Thaler, Richard Blakeway, Jamie Langley, um, Joe Westwood, Ben Westwood's younger brother. Uh, that were my kind of age group. Jamie and Joe and Adam Thaler were a, a year younger than me and Richard Blakeway. Um, but that were my age group and we played together right from under nines up until under 16s. And uh, those were those guys were always the better players in the team. I were always one of the good players in the team. I think the difference between me and uh, certainly the likes of Jamie Langley and Adam Thaler who got picked up for academies and could have gone anywhere in the country really. While I were out on the park on a Friday night trying to get somebody to buy me a bottle of cider from the shop, they were at home watching rugby league or passing a rugby ball with the parents in the garden or whatever. And so my commitment, although I loved the game and I never missed, didn't really miss a training session, turned up every 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 week to play. What I were doing outside of the sport maybe weren't the right kind of thing. And I think, as with anything, word typically gets around what kind of. I think a lot of a lot of clubs want to know. Well, yeah, he's a good player, but what's he what's he what's what's he doing away from the the pitch? Mm-hmm. And I think in my this is this is the re, this is the reason I tell myself because I always thought oh good enough I might have just not been good enough because um, I had plenty of knockbacks, but um, I, I just don't think I were as committed as what some of them boys were who went on and got signed on at academies at age fifteen sixteen. So. Um, so I'm 17 years old, twiddling my thumbs, thinking, oh, shit, my, my opportunity's passed. I've not got a gig in the academy or anything. Walking uh, past careers office in Wakefield, down, you know, where the gate pub is mm-hmm. in Wakey. The careers office used to be on that road there somewhere, if I remember right then. Anyway, I walked past, stuck me head in, and they said, yeah, come on in, young one, let's go upstairs, do this touchscreen test. And they said, right, yeah, well, you, you, you can, uh, you've qualified, you can, you can come and, um, try out for the armed forces, so to speak. Uh, we'll be in touch. We'll send you some dates for uh, a two-day training course in Scotland. It's basically some uh, fitness testing and all that kind of stuff up, up in Scotland. And before I knew it, I'd gone. I'd been in the careers office, got a letter saying your dates. These are your dates. Get yourself up to Scotland. Here's your rail ticket. And it was just like all happened really quick. And before I know it, I was in basic training at 17 years old for the army, and. Um, I passed out of basic training probably, it would have been uh, April, it would have been April of, well, I was 17, so it would have been about, around about April 2000 or 2001. Uh, and then I went on to my second phase. Yeah, which it would have been 2001 because my second phase of training, I turned 18 and it just, just after that, the Twin Towers went down and, I, and I'm in my second phase of training thinking, fuck, what's going to happen here? Like, I'm just coming to the back end of my second phase of training. <laughs> Am I going to end up getting shipped off to Iraq? Um, and anyway, 12 months after that, I did. I got I got shipped off to Iraq. Like So just crazy how it all panned out and, and, and all just by chance walking by careers office and thinking, well, I've not really got much else going on. I'll stick my head in here and see what's happening. 
How long did that last then? Obviously, looking at your career, when you when you when you uh, rocked up at Doncaster, two thousand and five, you were twenty five. So, did that was was you was the army? So, did it soak up seven years of your life in rugby league? You're doing me a disservice there. I was about twenty one. Right, sorry, oh, 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 don't, don't make me older than I already am. Yeah, sorry, yeah, but you I put three or four years on you. <laughs> no, I, I joined Donny, so I joined Donny in the 2005. Uh, I would have been 20, I would have been 22. Yeah, yeah, uh, sorry, sorry, I would have been 21 to turning 22 in that 2005. Um, so yeah, it, I went the long route round, no two ways about it. Uh, I served in the army for about four years there or thereabouts um, and uh, yeah and, and that was that I got back at Donny in 2005 and then um, yeah the, the rest is history so to speak and you enjoyed Donny you had a good year you just had one year 22 games 17 tries I remember your halfbacks being Graham Allroyd and Latham Tyfi yeah not a bad setup up there was it they had a really good side the, the chairman at the time was throwing a lot of money around If he, the, the back row was Lee Ireland, who was somebody I used to watch. I was a cast fan growing up. Boo, I know you're going to yeah, boo at that one, but I was a cast fan growing up. Um, and Lee Ireland was somebody that I used to admire. So he was in the back row. Andy Hay was in the other back row, another one from Cass. Uh, and Martin Moana. Oh, so that was, that, that was the back three of the scrum at Donny that year. So they've been throwing some money about. Graham Oloyd were there um, not long after his Leeds career. So they were chucking some money about, and to be amongst them kind of players were it were great for me as a, as a young kid who, like I'd watched some of them play, uh, supported some of them as a kid, and I was familiar with some of the names, so it was great. Uh, and and just being around that experience and then kind of players were brilliant. Um, and obviously I had a really good year, popping up in the right place at the right time quite often um, and, and getting a, a bunch of tries. I had two really good games against Hull KR. We played them in the um, it was the semi-final of the Northern Rail Cup. Northern, Northern, Rail, Northern Rail Cup. Yeah, so it was the semi-final. We played them at their place. Um, and I had a really good... Well, I think we were winning 18-6 at half-time. I'm sure we are well in front. Uh, and I'd, I'd broke through, scored a try, set one up. Um, and then I ended up scoring another one. And it were at the end of that year, Hulk Air approached me. They said they were going full time in 2006 to try and make an assault on Super League. Um, and they wanted to sign me on. Uh, so that's that's how that came about, really. Just from uh, certainly one good game at their place. Uh, and then I'm guessing they'd, they'd seen a few other performances throughout the year as well. So. And what a season that next one was, 2006. Justin Morgan, your coach, you got mm. promotion, you won the grand final, 29 games, 27 tries. So much going on. You got to the semi final of the cup, so much going on. What a, what a season! It was brilliant. It was brilliant. I mean, one thing Justin Morgan instilled into all of us were um, massive belief. We were looking at, I mean, looking at the teams we were up against that, that year, we were up against Witness uh, and Lee. They, they, were two, they were the two top sides. Uh, Witness had got the likes of Terry O'Connor, Brian McDermott, uh, Barry McDermott up front, Mick Cassidy in the back row, Dennis Moran half back, Ian Watson half back. So, so that that was his competition. Damian Blanche, who obviously played at Wake, he, he was free scoring winger for them that year. Um, so they had a really good team, but they were an aging team. We had we had a more youthful team, um, and and we had a bit of swagger about us. You had Scott Morell came in as a twenty year old, nineteen twenty year old from from Leeds. Me and him formed a tremendous um, bond and friendship. Um, 
and you know we just had an amazing year, a great year. And quite quickly, mate, you know, we've, we've highlighted it already, but within two years, you've gone from playing amateur rugby for, for an army second team to then being in Super League in 2007 quite quickly. As a young bloke, even though you were you were relatively older in age, you were 18 at the time, you were 22, 23. How did you handle that? How did, what was your maturity like? It weren't great. <laughs> it weren't great at all. Like I, one thing I struggled with throughout my career, well, throughout, certainly throughout my career until... Uh, until I, the the penny dropped in 2011, to that point, I I was still I just saw myself as Ben from Normie. Yeah. I didn't I, I I couldn't separate myself as a professional athlete in the spotlight to some degree to to Ben from Norman who was used to doing whatever they were doing with his friends on a weekend prior to being a pro rugby player. You know, coming home from the army on a weekend, playing with the second team, getting pissed up all weekend, and you know, just doing that kind of stuff. Um, and um. Yeah, it, it, I just never really managed to get a grip of myself until, like I said, till 2011, really, um, when when my whole life changed, to be honest. But um, I'm sure we'll talk about that as we, we carry on. And and was there something missing in the game at that point? Obviously, welfare managers are big now, state of mind is big. Do you feel like there was something missing or was that just the way you were at the time? Well, I, th- I think it, as it's hard for people. I believe it. it People can't just change the character overnight. Mm. Um, certainly, if they've not got the right surroundings and the right guidance. And while I were in a professional rugby environment as my job, uh, my environment away from my job weren't professional. And and that's not me blaming anybody or anything. At the end of the day, we're all adults and we make our own choices and we put ourselves in whatever situations we end up in. We're responsible for all our own choices and actions. Um but it just took me a while to start making the, the right choices and the right decisions. And it took some big, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, some some big setbacks. Yeah. To overcome. If uh, if Benny Kukia Benny and the bloke now could speak to you at, at 22, 23, what would you tell him? I'd probably put I'd probably put my arm around him and I'd say, come on, you need to pull your head in a bit here. You've got, you've got a bit of an opportunity. And I, I, there's, there were probably one or two people that maybe tried that. Uh, once or twice, can't really think of anybody who, who comes to mind specifically. But the way I, I mean, the way I look at younger people now, particularly in, I'm, I'm involved in health and fitness outside of, I don't do anything to do with rugby now anyway. So health and fitness is my game at the minute, my, my working life. And I'm, I'm always trying to encourage the younger people to be better versions of themselves. Uh, and and I could have probably done with that type of person in my life, um, external to family, because I think it's one of them things. And when you're hearing it from a familiar voice all the time, it don't quite resonate as much as it does from somebody who you maybe look up to and respect a little bit, who's maybe not as close knit a uh, circle to you. So um, I was maybe just missing a little bit of that. But like I said before, ultimately. <laughs> I was an adult, uh, you know, a grown, grown man making decisions and making choices myself. So nobody, nobody else to blame but myself, really. On the field, mate, this OKR team was probably the the best promoted side of the Super League era until maybe even this year with Lee. You know, you you, you finished seventh in your first season, then fourth, and straight into the playoffs, and then again back to back seven player finishes. So in your in your first four years, you finished top half every time. You had a cracking team, didn't you, under Justin Morgan? We had a great that first year, that two thousand and seven. We got promoted. I, I just it might be worth checking that again there because I'm pretty sure 
the first five games we won four out of five, and then after that we went on a terrible losing streak. Yeah. Um, and I think we really started to get found out a little bit. And um, I'm sure we finished second bottom. Sorry, mate. Just looking. Yeah, you finished eleventh, and then you finished seventh, fourth, seventh. And then, seventh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Yeah. But yeah. We, so, so we kind of hung on. We hung on. That that start that we had in Super League, winning four out of us. Uh, I think we beat Wigan. Wakefield, what first team we beat? Yeah, on on Sky live on yeah, Sky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then um, we turned Huddersfield over away. Uh, I think we beat Wigan away. I think. So we had some. We, we took some good scalps in that first five games, but then, like I said, after that we got. Uh, Bit of a reality check and probably got spanked for God knows how many games in a row and but just managed to scrape enough together to to cling on at the back end. And I, I'll yeah. do, sorry. sorry, Ben, go on, mate. I was going to say I think it was the expense. Maybe maybe Cathford. Uh, I can't quite remember who went down there. Yeah, I um, I mean, alternatively to that, then I'll, I'll switch the questioning around. As as a new team, are you all panicking again, thinking you you might lose your jobs if you go down, or do you all were you always safe that you were still going to be full time? I think we all I think we all felt um, probably ner- we felt nervous, but I think we still felt confident. From what I remember, we did, we didn't feel like we were going to necessarily going to go down, um, but we uh, I think it's like the the nerves kicking in, and I'm sure I think about this this situation now with Wakefield and Castleford. What what's going on now in Super League? I think now, if I'm looking looking from an outsider looking in, I'm thinking, well, Cats are going to be way more nervous than Wakefield. Wakefield have had a bit of form; they've picked up some wins. They're probably bouncing a little bit. Um, Castleford are like, oh dear, Wakefield are chasing us. They're the ones looking over the shoulder, and then you've got the big game coming up in a fortnight or a week week tomorrow, as we're doing this podcast. Um, so. We were probably in that situation where we're a little bit nervous and a little bit, oh shit, what if they beat them or we lose to them and that, you know, a bit of that stuff going on. But ultimately, we still, we still had the belief, I think, and um, and we managed to hang on. And you didn't have a bad time. Just looking at that, that first game when you played Wakefield, I remember because we went over there thinking, oh, we'll, we'll beat you 7,000 turned up. But when you look at the side, you were at full back. But the, some of the players you had, uh, Scott Morell and James Webster, your halfbacks, Danny Ward, Michael Vella, your uh, your props, Big Chesey at uh, uh, loose forward, Michele Ezu, I, I, I was a big Tommy Gallagher fan, Pat Weisner, Jim Gannon on the bench. You didn't have a bad squad there when you come yeah. out of the uh, and, and National League one, didn't you? We did okay, recruited really well. I- Mick Vella were a really big signing for us. Uh, to to pull that off, were were brilliant to get him in. Um, and then obviously as, as Rovers moved forward from that year, I think it might have been the following year after that we managed to get the likes of Galea and Newton in. Uh, Fitzhenry might have come across that that year as well. So um, so yeah, that that squad he put together for for two thousand and six seven when we first got promoted, he brought in some decent experience. That, that probably helped us through a bit there as well. Yeah, you just mentioned again the following season, 2007, you Sean Briscoe went to fullback. That's right, uh, yeah. Jake Webster in the bench, Chev uh, in the centre, Chev Walker in the centre. Yeah. David Mills at prop, Stanley Jean played, Clint Young, you've just said, Ben Galea. Not bad, you know, they kept getting better and better, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Yes, that throwing some money about, mate. Yeah, we're good. Did you, when Briscoe came in, did you feel as though you were sort of under pressure for your fullback shirt? Well, I know he it was England international at the time, so for yeah. me it was like, well, that's me getting my nose pushed out. But I managed to, I managed to keep a, a place in the team pretty regular. I think quite often I were off the bench. Um, he'd stick me in the back row, 
He'd stick me in the middle, loose forward, uh, out in the centres, wing, wherever. So I ended up getting a bit of a utility tag um, when Briscoe came in, which weren't a problem. Uh, Briscoe were probably always going to pick up some injuries as well. Uh, always one for sticking his head in the wrong place, hence his nose wrapped around his lug holes. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, when, he, when he first signed out, I, I suppose I had a little bit of nervous uh, energy floating around me thinking, oh, is that is that me done? Or am I going to get shipped out? Am I going to get sent off on loan or whatever? Um, but as it turned out, I managed, to, I managed to cling on to a spot in the 17 quite regular. You did, and you were quite regular. In 2006, you had 29 games. 2007, you had 22. 2008, 27, and so on. All the way up to 2011. Wheels fell off a little bit, mate, in 2011. Can you tell us what happened that year? They fell off below. They fell off before that, mate. To be honest, um, <laughs> I, I had a few chances. Yeah, I got I got in trouble in two thousand eight or nine, uh, and then two thousand eleven. It was kind of the straw that brought the camel's back, so to speak. I was involved in a, a police car chase, which um, I weren't even the driver of the vehicle. Not that that makes any difference. Again, I'm I'm not, I'm not passing the book anywhere here because I made a decision to get in that car. You know what I mean? So I was still present. Uh, um and uh, and okay, I just said, look, mate, you 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 are there again. It's you again. <laughs> it's you and it's you again. So we're sacking you, and I was like, bloody hell, sacking me. So I went and spoke to. I took some legal advice on, um, and and based on the event that happened, um, the advice I were given was actually you've done you've done by the by the book you've done nothing wrong. Obviously, I had done something wrong. I was there, like I said. Um, by the book, you've done nothing wrong. If they want to dismiss you, then we'll take them on and we'll we'll go we'll go fight for your full contracts, paying up. Mm-hmm. And just prior to that, uh, I will probably I think that happened around about the August time, maybe. Uh, but anyway, I, I'd still got two years to run on my contract after that, so two and a half years, because I'd signed a three-year deal uh, back in the twenty ten. Because um, Castleford, I met Terry Matterson, I was going to sign for Castleford. Mm-hmm. And, and Rovers came back and said, well, we'll give you, we want you to stay, we'll give you some more money and we'll give you three years rather than two. And so I was like, great, let's, let's do that then. So I was like six months into that new deal. And then um, obviously uh, that happened and, and they said, well, okay, you, you, fair enough what you're saying, we'll, we'll mutually agree that you depart and we came to a mutual agreement and and then I went to sort the rest of that year out of Featherston and then um, I, I honestly didn't expect to get another sniffing Super League uh, I knew that I was probably an average player at that time I was probably you know, doing alright getting a, getting a gig in a team that were floating around mid-table uh, but I didn't think I were a player that um, clubs would be thinking, oh, well, he's, he's too good to be left in championship. Let's give him a chance. I think I, I just didn't see myself as that kind of player. But um, but Rich Agar got in touch uh, and he just said, we're trying to put a team together at Whitefield next year and I want you to come along. It'll be a one-year deal. First time he's tripled you out. <laughs> um, do you fancy it? And I'm like, yeah. And it were it were probably a third, a third less than what I were on at Hull KR, maybe more yeah. a si- 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 significant loss in, in income, but again, just due to my own fault of uh, being a bonehead. 
Just before you go into your Trinity days, mate, you had nine games at Featherstone, but he won a bad run. You know, Daddle Powell, your coach, Stu Dickens, your, your captain, he won a grand final. He only had nine games. Must have been a good couple of months there. You enjoy it? It, it was great. It was really good. Yeah, I, I had a good time. Uh, Powell, were, uh, it were great to me. Um, uh, again, another coach that I've been fortunate to have that I've, I've had a lot of respect for and, um, yeah, performed well for him. In a, in a good side, that Featherson side, really good, playing really well. Uh, Liam Finn were the main man, I think. Yeah. Pulling the strings, Finney. Um, and uh, yeah, I had, had a good, I think I might have scored 10, 11 tries in that short period. I were at Featherston as well. Scored a few. Got one in final. We beat Sheffield 40 points to six or 12, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so yeah, it was good. I did have a good run at Featherston. And I mean, it sh- the, the connection I had with the OKR fans, there were, there were some OKR fans coming over to Featherston to watch me play. So as much as I'd been an absolute tool, uh, a number of occasions, I've still got people at OKR who thought highly of me, and um, I think that's pro- that's probably why OKR is still my my club, really. Even though uh, the stuff that's gone on in the past where I've had to leave twice, um, but they're still my club. I'm off to Wembley as a supporter on Saturday uh, to to cheer them on. I'm off down on a coach with my wife's um, missus has put a coach on, so we're off down on that. So, but I think that just because of that connection that I had with the supporters, it always felt like my club, so to speak. And and you spoke about the, the final nail in the coffin, kind of the straw that brought the camels back for the UKR loss. Uh, but what what was it for you? What was it that changed your behaviour that started to mature? That you what your focus was became elsewhere. Well, when when I left UKR, I went to Featherstone. The first thing I was thinking was, well, I'm going to need to get another job. Um, I'm going to need to define something that I enjoy because I'm going to be playing part-time. That was my mindset straight away. So straight away, I got myself on a, a personal training course. I just thought that's the... I love training. I've never been one shy of training. I've always been like a hard worker. Um, probably got me through most of my career with my, with my, my hard work, not, not necessarily the skill side of things. So... That were a natural route for me to fall into. So I started that. I passed the personal training qualification, got involved in that outside of sport, got myself a couple of little boot camps running uh, in Normanton. And then um, I continued with that into 20, uh, 2012 on a time for Wakefield. I just continued doing that. I think I had two or three boot camps a week that were going on just locally. Um, and... Um, built up a good little gang with that and then I found business outside of sport uh, which were nutrition which tied in with what I was doing with the um, with the fitness stuff and then having that 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 would probably that was the turning point in I'd go as far as saying in my entire life really because that was the point where I found things uh, like personal development uh, reading books listening to audios listening to stuff that at first sounded foreign to me listening to people talk, like give these motivational or inspirational speeches or these philosophies around certain uh, lifestyles and all this kind of stuff. And at first it just sounded real foreign to me, but I, I dived right into it. I doubled down on it, plugged into it. Um, and it helped me massively from a business standpoint away from rugby. But more importantly, I feel like I, my, my best two years of my career, and I say this all the time, were when I was at Wakefield. And it's no coincidence that I was playing with a bunch of lads that I absolutely loved, uh, all of them. Um, I would run a mile for any of them any time now. If any of them gave me a call and needed me, I'd be there. 
at the drop of a hat, um, I had a, had a coach that gave me a free reign, um, a coach that trusted me and believed in me. I'm not saying other coaches didn't, but Rich, there was just something about him that, and and the players have all players have different views of certain coaches, and a lot of it's based on how they treat you, um, if they pick you, <laughs> you know, what, what kind of what style of rugby they play and all that kind of stuff. But but for me, Rich were he got the best out of me um, at a time in my career when. I could have quite easily been in the bid. So that combined with, you know, leadership from the likes of Danny Kermond um, and then business away from sport, a focus away from rugby, not just a, right, it's weekend, what am I going to do? We've had a Friday night game, what am I going to do Saturday? Oh, I might just go and get pissed. Rather than having that mindset, it were right, well, actually, this weekend, we haven't got a game this weekend, I'm going to go to a business seminar. So all these little things just starting to piece together just brought out, um, just brought out a, like a a new version of me, which were which were great, really. So, what did you learn about yourself at, at that time? Well, I, I learned a lot of things, really. I think the biggest thing that I, I learned throughout that transition of um, being a knucklehead into trying to have some self respect and uh, behaving properly. <laughs> I think the thing I learned most about that is your your environment, the environment that you place yourself in, is 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 going to give you the relevant outcome. So if you're surrounded by people who are doing inspirational stuff on a regular basis, you're probably going to find yourself doing something that's pretty impressive or pretty inspiring or pretty motivational. If you find yourself sat in a pub with five people smoking cigs and chatting shit all night, you're probably going to find yourself, you know what I mean? So so one thing I learned through that period of self-development and and finding business outside the sport is that um, you're absolutely a product of your environment. But on the but in the same token with that, you're also responsible for your own choices. Yeah. So we, we, we've all got choices if we want to stay in that environment or move in that environment. And sometimes it's difficult to... Um, you got some difficult choices to make, and I were in that position where I had tough choices to make. A lot of people took piss out of me for doing the nutrition stuff that I were doing. Basically, got my car stickered up and everything. I used to wear t-shirts and all that, and I used to get some right shit for it. But ultimately, that was the days of Herbalife, mate, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But ultimately, that were that were the that had a big part to play in the transformation of my all the all the paths that I had couple of paths I could have gone down there one of them were carry on down that path and you who knows where you could be in the next 12 18 months or, or let's have a look down this one see what's going on there and see what happens and luckily for me I took the right one and it worked out okay from that squad mate we've obviously we're speaking to you we spoke to Kermo we spoke to Richie Mathers Danny Washbrook Ollie Wilkes we've even spoke to Richie on this podcast as well he's come on for a chat all of you have said you've, you've had the best part of your career the best times the best um, on-field performances in that two, three seasons. What what was it about that squad? What was the energy like at that point? Well, I felt, and I'm sure some other lads maybe felt the same, I, I felt we were like a bunch of rejects, <laughs> misfits, who nobody else really wanted. That's kind of what it felt like. Don't get me wrong, there were probably players in that team who could have maybe gone elsewhere. I'm sure there were players who could have chosen. But for a lot of us, for me, it was a bit like last chance alone. 
Tim Smith coming in from Australia. I'm sure he just had a, a couple of issues before he came across. Um, I mean, we managed to pull Paulie Ayton in, which was just unbelievable what he was doing for us when when he was with them two years. Uh, Richie Mathers, I think just come back from Gold Coast, Richie at this time. I can't remember where Richie had been. Um, Peter Fox's career were kind of slipping away. He'd been at England level with OKR and then just kind of started drifting off one reason or another. Um, and we all just came to life together. I, I think we all, don't get me wrong, we didn't obviously, we didn't win no trophies or anything like that, but to be to be a, a team what people would have thought would have been bottom feeders at the beginning of 2012, to charge into the playoffs back end of the season like we did were just un- unbelievable. Paul Sykes must have won us three or four games with boot. Yeah, that's the thing, mate. I think be, oh, similar to this year, everybody tipped us to finish bottom, didn't to not win a game, we, we'd be laughed at. And then by the end of the year, we'd won seven in a row and we'd snuck into the playoffs out of nowhere. Were, were the team as surprised as, as the fans were? I don't think we were. I don't think we, I'm sure we I'm sure we beat some big... We beat Saints by one or two points in, in that seven-game run as well. Saints and OK, uh, back-to-back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, <clears throat> I don't think we were... Surprise! We we obviously know that we were, we were underdogs, and that I think that always helps your case for whatever sport you're playing. Being the underdogs, there's a bit less pressure on you. And um, I think we we were just an happy group, and it's hard. It's it's hard for any coaching staff to keep the team happy all year round, and to keep that togetherness. It's hard in any team, regardless of, of, of the bond. You've got to be. You've got to have some good leaders in your team, and you've got to be you've got to be an half decent leader yourself. I'm not saying everybody in the team loved Rich Agar and Webbo as coaches, because probably didn't. But all the players, I would like to think, have loved and had a lot of respect for each other, and and that that goes a long way. That goes a really long way, and it certainly did for us for them for them couple of years. It obviously started falling apart a little bit in 2013 when when the club needed to start selling players off. But we, we were still having fun. We were still playing with smiles on our faces. We were still happy in each other's company. Um, people like Martin Clawson, the, the strength and conditioning guy. Like, what a character. He, he could either break a man with his um, with his strange banter or, or or you could just laugh and joke. I used to laugh and joke at him all day long. But, he, but then again, he could get in somebody else's head and then we'd be laughing at the fact that he got in somebody else's head by just being himself and... It was great, mate. Honestly, some of the stuff we used to get up to that were, were class. I remember when um, we had this Mad Monday at the end of 2012. Gary Schofield had come out with a <laughs> comment. Have you heard this story? Yeah. yeah. Well, he came out with a comment, didn't he? That if Wayfield met the top eight or top six, whatever it was, I'll, I'll do a naked run. And we're all sat having a few cans on Mad Monday in uh, in, in Bellevue down at the stadium. Scoey rocks up in his dressing gown and slippers. <laughs> As a couple of cans of those right and lads whoosh, dressing gowns off, knocking balls out, buff naked. <laughs> off he went all, all the way to North, standing back, doing like karaoke, sidestepping and all this. And we were like, fair play, mate. Just, um but yeah, just things like that. What 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 made it what made it a good crack? You were entertaining to watch as well, mate. That that season, uh, yes, we got some thumpings early on. We lost 36-0 at London and and got some right pastings at, at St. Helens and whatever. And, but those last eight games, you know, it's like Rich Rich sort of followed it up. You know, those that St. Helens games. St. Helens got 32 points, but we scored 33. Hull mm. KI got 30, but so we got 31. Salford got 34, so we got 42. 
it, we weren't very good in defence, but by golly, we were good to watch an attack. Entertaining, yeah. I watch, um, the, the, there was a clip floating about, a, a video clip, uh, it were Paul, Paul, we used to have this set play, because I used to, a guy used to say to me, go and do what you want, get him, you know, coming out of yardage in particular, roam about in the middle of the field. If ball's shifting over to the right, you can come up your wing and you can pot about in the middle of the field and just see what you can pick up. And we used to have this play where Paulie would get out of dummy half, he'd hold onto the marker. So the marker's like leaning into tackling. He'd pass it to Tim Smith running outwards on what we call the A defender. And I'd just be up the middle. Ran that play numerous times and, um, there's one clip floating about where we ran it to a tee, kind of bounced off my head and then I caught it back and I give it to Kermit, I won't fall back and he went right side of the post, brilliant stuff. But but we used to play a lot of stuff like that. Tim Smith, Tim Smith could do could do things like totally out of the blue. You'd be like, how's he done that? How's he passed that ball to there without looking there? And um, But ultimately, like I said, mate, the, the, the team bond that we had and the camaraderie that we had, I've, I've never experienced anything like it throughout my whole career. Wherever I've played, even at amateur level, we have some fun and games in the amateur game. But what what we had going on that year, particularly two thousand twelve, um, I've never experienced anything like it. I remember that try. That would be out where where you say um, Tim Smith sort of inside pass to you, and then Kermo yeah. was away. Kermo was still ganging on that try. Yeah. But it was I remember it. I think it might have been against Salford, and and you scored down bottom end. Yeah, yeah. it, it were it were uh, brilliant stuff, mate. Tell us about Kermo, mate. We've touched on him to begin with. You know, that 2013 season, the year after he got picked for the uh, Dream Team. Tell us about Captain Kermo. Uh, well, in any sense, like as a, as a as a teammate or as a as a as a friend, he's just he's just probably one of the most um you could whenever I, I could not speak to him for months on end and I could go and sit and speak to him. It's just like you, 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 it makes you feel so at ease. So so comfortable. It's like you've never You've never been away from him, so to speak. You know what I mean? He's just got that kind of aura about him where he just—I always feel relaxed around him. Um, good, you can have a good crack with him. Uh, and in terms of his skills of being a captain, just his ability to to work between playing staff and coaching staff—I think he got that down to a tee pretty well as well. Um, in his time at Wakefield, I'm not saying. Um, I'm not saying we got us way all the time or anything like that, but it was just a real good communicator, uh, uh, middleman between playing staff, coaching staff. So that's always handy that you've got a you've got a captain that's got a good relationship and and, and strong respect from both sides. Um, I just love him, mate. I, I just got so much time for him. Uh, obviously, got to spend a bit of time with him at York back in the last year as well before before that before that fell apart before forty. Decided they were going to Wakefield and then that was me back on the fucking scrap heap again. <laughs> but, uh, 2013, mate. The wheels fell off in 2013 a little bit. But you got picked for England. You got in the England squad. And then you yeah. you, you, you were 29 and then you played for England Knights when you were 13. Now, we've pulled the team up. You've got people like Zach Hardacre, Sam Powell, Tom, Tom Burgess, Josh Hodgson, Scott Taylor, um, Chris Green. And then 30-year-old Benny Cocaine on the wing for England Knights. How, how did that come about? Must have been just. Yeah, no, it was amazing. Like, I, I remember Agar pulled me aside and he said, um, I've had Steve McNamara on the phone. He's been asking me about you, um, you know, as a person. And do I think 
you're capable of playing for England. He said, so obviously I've told him absolutely yes, but don't expect the same thing as you're going to get from Ryan Hall or Jermaine McGilvery. You're going to get something a little bit different. And it depends if you're willing to take that chance, really. Um, so they pulled me into England squad. And um, I didn't ever really think I was going to make the final cut. I thought I was just going to be there as a, you know, get me in just in case there's any injuries to any of the other guys. But Steve was great with me from day one. He, when I went in, he was like, look, he said, I'm, I'm, he said, obviously, Ryan also is number one man. Um, he said, I'm genuinely unsure what I'm going to do with the right hand side yet. Um, we'll see how, uh, we'll see how things pan out. He said, but regardless, if you don't make the squad, I want you to stay with the squad and I want you to play with the England Knights if, um, if you want to do that, if you if you're not in the the final World Cup squad, so I'm like, well, that's fine. If I can pull an England shirt on, I'm I'm happy with that. And I think he did that just to keep me just to keep me in touch in case there were any injuries, uh, just to give me a run out in case there were any injuries. Um, but just yeah, it was unusual, wasn't it? The, the, the one, I don't think anybody else has played England Knights at 30 years old. <laughs> Uh, not that I'm aware of anyway. So so to do that and get that opportunity, I was very grateful for it. Um, and it would probably, I, I, won't, I won't say it was the highlight of my career, career, but it was certainly up there, you know, to pull an English shirt on at any, any level. Um, fills you with pride. Uh, but just to be in that bracket of play, English players at that time, um, was something I'm really proud of. And again, it all... Everything comes back to that Wakefield team because if I'm playing, if I'm still playing for OKR without any misdemeanors, would that have happened? Probably not, because I'd have probably still been a bit part player at OKR coming off the benches or utility man. Whereas when I came to Wakefield, it was like right, you're going to be playing on the wing, possibly full back, depending how things go in matters. But likely, likely you're going to be on the wing, but you're going to get a free roll. Um, just make sure you're on the end of the line if the ball's coming your way and we need to finish a try. That was pretty much the the deal that we had. Um, so all I'd do is if the ball were going, if I knew the ball were going to the right, I'd just come in off my wing, put it about at the middle of the field in case anybody made a break and sniff about at the middle. Um, and if the if the if the play the ball were on the right hand side of the field, I'd make sure I were on my wing in case the ball came back across to us. So just having that having that role uh, while I were at Wakefield. Uh, and the teammates around me who um, probably knew where I were going to pop up and having that understanding of each other, particularly when you you think about your nine, your seven and your one, your spine of your team, them knowing that... Because what all they were... If I were, if I were in and they didn't want to bend, fuck off, bend piss off out to you, we can get yourself back out there and that'd be it. So having that good understanding um, and that role, if I didn't have that, then again, I probably wouldn't have even got a chance. To put an England shirt on, so, um, I like I said before, I had the best best time, best form of my career were at Wakefield, and it would be because of the people that I was playing with and the, the coaching stuff. Do you, do you think those freedom type players are missing a bit more these days? Obviously, there's a lot of structure, there's a lot of sticking to your channels, and you know a lot of you know three men in each tackle. Everyone get back once. You know, do, do you feel like that role that you played needs to be more a bit more prominent these days? Yeah, I, th- I mean, it is a lot more structured, isn't it? I, I, if I'm being totally honest, I don't watch it all that much. But when I sit and watch it, it, it does look. There's not really. 
I mean, you watch Wigan; they've got some they've got some players that can do stuff off the cuff with that Jai Field and, and Birmingham Trench. But I'm looking around elsewhere, and I'm not really seeing from what I've seen so far. I'm not really seeing much else of it. Yeah. Uh, partic- particularly wingers just coming in and roaming about and just trying to pick up some some scraps and see what's going on. Um, but again, that comes down to a, a coach having the balls to do it. You know what I mean? What, what, what coaches these days would say that to a winger. You've got a free roll, go and do what you want. Just make sure you're on the end of the line when the ball comes your way if we need to finish a try. Yeah. Um. So, so fair play again, fair play to Rich. If if I don't have that role and that and that free um free reign, I want to I want to been the player I was when I went to Wakefield. I was just told stay on your wing, take a carry out of yardage for us, just stay on your wing and good ball. Then then I won't have had the um the time I had at Wakefield, which like I said I can't emphasise enough that will be the best two years of my career and, and most enjoyable. Being obviously a normal lad and a self-proclaimed cast fan, did 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 you ever be a bit disappointed that you didn't pull on the uh, the amber and gold? I was probably more disappointed from my granddad and my uncle really, um, because they they started taking me when they were well when I were about well, about five, and he used to I remember I remember him lifting me up at turnstile, not not paying for me to get in, and um, going to Wembley in '92 when I got beat by Wigan, that was my first trip to Wembley. So it would have been nice to do it for them. Um, but again, that because I, I could have gone to Castleford uh, for, for two years. It was pretty much on my doorstep. It were, I think they were about five, five or ten grand difference in contract money. But Hull KR, I, because of the journey I'd gone on with Hull KR in terms of promotion and just building that rapport with my teammates, particularly Scott Morell, were probably the best mate throughout my career and certainly throughout my time at Hull KR. Um, and having that bond with the fans over there, if I didn't, if that, if that weren't as prominent as it was, then I probably wouldn't. I probably would have signed at Cass. Mm. I probably would have signed at Cass because um, it would have, it would have been a bigger. Uh, my family would have loved it. My granddad and my uncle would have loved it. And what what came about for the conclusion of the Trinity Trinity exit? You know, twenty thirteen. Yeah, you ended up leaving the club. Um, I'd actually got spoken to. I can't remember that. There, there was a whisper. I can't remember if it came from our our coaching staff. I would. I always kept in touch with Neil Joe, and I was over in Hull one time, um, and I met up with him. We had a coffee, and he just said, "Have you ever thought about coming back?" And I was like, "Well, I'm surprised you'd even ask that question." Um, and then on the back of that, it just started to unravel quickly. But I did whispers before that that were potentially looking to buy me and Wakefield were looking to sell or Wakefield needed the money. Um, so when it all started coming around, I was like, well, the way things are looking at Wakefield, Paul is getting sold off, Tim is getting sold off. Well, if Kyle Amor got sold or he would, or he'd agreed to leave, he would definitely leave him. Um, can't remember who else, man. Did anybody else get sold off that year? Can't remember. There's quite a few, weren't there? I think it was that point when we ended up shipping out 10, 10 lads and bringing 10 in again. Yeah. Well, that, to me, for, like from what we're hearing and, and, and the whispers around the, the camp, so to speak, where the, the club's in a bit of shit um, and they're looking to offload players. So then I was just thinking, well, if there's an opportunity to go back, if they want to pay a fee to get me back, 
and then you know turn it back to OKR, then that'll be that'll be great. Um, so I'm really excited to go back. I was a bit disappointed that that Wakefield had found herself in that position again only two years later than because I'm sure when we got put together in 2012, we were on the back of some turbulence. Maybe 2011, where there were some dramas. Um, it's never been plain sailing, has it, for Wakey? No, it never has been. It's, it's never been plain sailing. It's a, it's a shame. It's a shame because I know a lot of the fans. I got a lot of a good, a lot of my good friends from Norman and are big Wakefield fans. Um, diehards, as you would call them. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I just uh, I, I hope the club's in a, a strong position now. And I, is there some development work getting done on at the stadium and stuff at the minute? Yeah, there's a new stand, pretty much almost done now. So, uh, yeah. so it's looking good. Good. I just hope that they can um, can survive Super League and and build on it. To be honest, um, just looking at that too far, I've just pulled up the transfers. When you went, you were one of ten. That right. Rid of um, Timmy Smith went, Carl Wood went, Oliver Wilkes, Carl Amor, Frankie Mariano, Paul Ayton, Justin Poe, and then kids who were Danny Cowling and Liam Kay at the time. So ten of oh, you shown the door. But, but out of them, there were a few got sold, weren't they? Yeah. Paul and Timmy, I think they got a fair bit of money off Salford for Tim, didn't they? Hundred grand or yeah. something. Seventy grand, and then 50, well. fifty grand for Carl Amor as well. Yeah, I think thirty-five. The whole care paid for me. Thirty-five. Yeah, um, and I don't know, I don't know about Paulie and Leeds, but obviously Kath and uh, Gary had obviously had a conversation and come to some agreement there, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. at your time, you you had some cracking stats at work. Fifty six games, twenty eight tries, and you even kicked two goals as well. And you you kicked a couple of goals at OKI. Was that something you enjoyed doing? Were you a closet goal kicker? Well, I got I, I did it when I was an amateur. Kick goals when I was an amateur. Um, but uh, no, I could always do it. I just never really practiced enough to to put me out forward to be the main goal kicker. And typically, every team that I played in had a goal kicker anyway. Um, I think they were just when needed, really. If we if we were down to, I might have been like third third choice, third or fourth choice a few times. <laughs> and and back at OKR, mate, your second spell, a totally different bloke, I imagine. Obviously, the. The, the drama around why you left last time, you know, a new bloke a couple of years later. Did you feel as though you were coming back as a, a bit more of a veteran, a bit more mature head? I felt like I was coming back a better person. Mm. I felt like I was going back a better person. Um, but ultimately, I, I didn't go back as a better player. <laughs> I, I, I didn't go back as a better player. That would probably, um, like I said, Wakefield got the best out of me. And then after that, I don't think I, I don't think I performed, performed bad, but I was nowhere near what I was doing at Wakefield. But again, that probably comes down to the the style of play that your coaches want, the, the type of role that they want you to play in the team. Um, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure the coach at the time, Craig Sandercock, actually wanted wanted me to come back. I'm not, I'm not sure. He was one of them coaches who would um, <laughs> he'd say things. He'd say things as though it were like his idea. Oh yeah, I wanted them to get you back. It's great to have you back. What squadron do you want and all this? And I, well, I don't really give a shit. Like I'm just happy to be back. I'm not bothered who wanted me to come back. We're here, and, but I, I um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the, the the role that I had at Wakefield. I'm not sure I were ever going to get that role again. Anyway, yeah, that was quite a unique, unique thing that Rich did with that. Um, 
but they, they were probably thinking that oh, he's played for England. He's he's got an England squad. He's, he's going to be a better player for us. But I just don't think it didn't it didn't work out that way really. Yep. Had another four. Had another four years there. Yeah. But it didn't. It didn't. Uh, I want. I want the standard hour when I was at Wakefield. And was your love for the game fading a little bit at this point? No, not really. Um, I mean, one thing that was definitely going on, going well for me, was outside of sport, I was making good money. Mm. Um, I weren't as dependent on my my, my rugby income. Um, so maybe I had that a bit bit of an effect. I don't I don't know. Uh. And then the form in in 2016 and 17, I would say were bang average at best. Um, probably playing some weeks when I shouldn't have really been played. Just maybe the coach, because I was one of all the blokes in the team at the time, picking me just for that reason, instead of giving some younger kids a chance who probably deserved it. Uh, so, yeah, after Wakefield, it all went downhill, lads. <laughs> well, I mean... Okay, I was fading at that point anyway. You looked at that four years you were there, you were 9th, 10th, 11th, and you actually played in that historic million-pound game which changed in the, in the last second with Gareth O'Brien's drop goal. What 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 was that like to play in and what were the feelings after it? Well, that that was that terrible, like, fortune. That was 2016, I got married that year, so I, I, I ruptured my PCL in that game. Oh. Uh, I, I think we were five minutes into the second half. So they had to move. They had to move Pencio to fullback and put somebody on the wing who shouldn't have been on the wing. And if you remember, they scored two late tries down that that side. Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah. And and if and I'm not saying if it weren't for me getting injured, it would never never have happened. But the, the the team would have been better equipped if I didn't go off with that injury because players wouldn't have had to be moved around in positions that they shouldn't have been in or weren't familiar with or whatever. Um, and I were in I were in the dressing rooms, and somebody came running back in. It's Golden Point. I'm like Golden Point, we're winning eighteen six or whatever it was. And I came up. What's happened? And then um, I can remember just hearing. So again, I was, I was still in the dressing room when they were in shit state, and I just heard the small crowd cheering, and I thought, "Fuck me, that's not us." What's happened there? And I didn't even see the drop goal until afterwards, and it was a belt, to be fair, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that will. So, uh, so yeah, that was terrible. I mean, I was one of the first ones to say, well, look, I'm, I'm happy to stay. Um, if you want me to stay, I'm happy to stay. If not, then, you know, what will be, will be, really. And then I think we found out, of course, the next couple of weeks if uh, they wanted to keep us on. And luckily, they were staying full time. There weren't a massive reduction in wages. Uh, a reduction, obviously, but it weren't. It weren't terrible. And like I said, because I put myself in a decent position anyway with business outside sport, it 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 didn't really affect me as maybe as much as it maybe would have done some others. Um. So yeah, and then uh, and then we had that battle back then through. I think we came back up through top eight. Yeah. Or, or middle eight. Yeah, I think we came back up that way then. So um. So yeah, that, that and playing under Tim Sheen's that. And that would like playing under him, you think, oh yeah, ex-Australian coach and all that, that's gonna be great. And top bloke, absolutely top bloke. But all they ever wanted to do was just attack. <laughs> we just want to just want to be trained to be fucking scrum players or tap players all the time. We're like, well, we need to defend at some point as well, really. 
we were lucky enough we had a good enough side um, that could attack half decent. Uh, I can't really remember how the middle eights panned out. I know we obviously got promoted. I think but you ended up getting it. You, you jumped above the million pound game, so you didn't even have to play that again, did you? No, I think no. you actually finished in the top three and went straight up. Yeah, I can't um, remember. I can't remember the teams who were battling that out. You were you were with uh, hang on a minute. You were with Warrington, Catalan, Halifax, Toulouse, Bradford, and Sheffield. Mad, isn't it that? Crazy, yeah, isn't it? we we played Warrington away in the last game actually, and that was my last game for all care. Okay. Um, and I think, I think I only got picked for that game because we were safe. Because I don't think I was playing too well, and it was going to be my last game, so I think that's the only reason I got picked. <clears throat> Yeah, because that was that was the million pound game was Lee Lee Catalan. So you Warrington finished top, witness you finished third. You won five out of your seven, and Lee and Catalan sort of fought out the million pound game. Mm. Look, look where they are now. It's crazy, isn't it? How it pans out. It is mad, isn't it? One's top of the league and one's in the final on there. Well, second, both top two, aren't they? Actually, top two. So yeah, aren't they top two? Well, I, I obviously got to see Lee at first hand a couple of times last year when. Um, when I was coaching at York and the tanks has put 100 points past us one game. And and the the, the middle unit hadn't changed all that much. They've got that I, Pape, Amon, Tom Amon, uh, Asiata. And everything goes through that Asiata. And I know I picked up an injury last week at, Lee, at, at Leeds. So I'd never wish anybody to be injured. But if he's out, then that's going to be a big plus for Rovers because he's like... I know they've got a good couple of halfbacks with Lamb and uh, Reynolds, but I think he's the organizer. I see that. I think he, he does all the organizing. So if he's missing, that'll be a, a big plus for Rovers. So th- th- this podcast is actually going out after the Challenge Cup final. So everybody listening to this will know the result, but we're filming right. this two days before for anybody listening. What, 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 I know I can imagine what your heart's saying, Benny, but what, what do you think? What do you think it's going to go? I, on, I honestly think it could be depend, dependent on John Asiata playing. Mm. I think that's how important he is to Lee, and I think that's how much of a key, a key member. Don't get me wrong, there. what I've seen at them this year have been brilliant. And I can see in that team, they've got the they've got the togetherness and they've got the they've probably got the camaraderie amongst each other and they're playing for a coach that the majority of them are really going to respect him. And his principles and his philosophies, they're going to be well and truly bought into that. I mean, the owner himself, Derek Beaumont, I've heard people flag him off, players in particular who have, you know, maybe had issues or whatever in the past. But I watched some on, um, I watched it back on Sky, like a little bit about him. Uh, and they were talking about how the Leopards came about and the branding and all that and how he, why he wants to do it. And I've got no bad admiration from him. So I, I I wouldn't I obviously I want to see Rovers win the game or I hope Rovers have won the game as we're talking, um, but I wouldn't begrudge if 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 Lee picks it up because I like I like what they're doing, I like how they're going about the business. Um, I personally like what the chairman gets up to. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, ruffled a few feathers, but um, he's put his money where his mouth is. He's invested in the club, um. And, and the team are doing really well. So if if Lee win it, I'd rather see Lee beating Hulk AR rather than somebody like Wigan or Saints who will win it all the time. So uh, hopefully Rovers have got the cup, but if Lee have got it, then respect. I think it's a win-win for rugby league, isn't it? Really, it's a yeah, it's a new winner in the past twenty odd years, and it's you know a new team on the on the trophy in a, in a 
in a while. So it's, I think it's uh, where we're going as well. We're also going, so we might bump into you. So I think it'd be a fantastic game for rugby league. And plus the women's are on and, and the 1895 Cup's on as well. So it'd be a great day. Great day for full, rugby league. Full day of it, yeah. So one day, Benny, hopefully Wakefield will get there again, but you never know. <laughs> you never know, mate. You never know. Who would have thought Lee and Hulk I would have been there this year? So Yeah. Definitely so. And then and then just kind of rounding off, mate, you had you know, you, you mentioned already you ended up back at York with your mate Kermo. Tell us about that short stint there and was it was it enjoyable? It was. Yeah, it was. It, it was really enjoyable actually. Forty rang me. Um I was playing at Doncaster. So last couple of I got a call from Doncaster back in the 2021. They'd having a load of there were all that stuff going on with COVID where certain players couldn't play if they'd got cough or whatever, you know, all that mad stuff going on and uh, they rang me and they said, we're short. Do you fancy coming and putting a shirt on for Donny? And I'm like, well, how good is that? Started at Donny. Go back and give a bit back and have a run around in League One. That'd be great. So I went, went to Donny. Played end of 2021. Loved it. Uh, so much so that I said I'd go around again in 2022. And we're approaching my 39th birthday in uh, <laughs> 2022. And and I got a phone call off 40 just saying, um, would you be interested in coming and joining his coaching staff? Uh, likely at the end of the year until, you know, for 12 months. And I'm like, yeah, sounds like a good opportunity. That's, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested. Um, and then Roger uh, Delaney went to Hulk AI, who was his assistant at York. And he said, well, I've got no BA now. Uh, what's chances of the coming out here? The, the conversation came about. I can't remember exactly how it came about, but, but, it, but obviously, well, if you come out of your contract now, Will Donny let you? Will Donny let you come? Would you be happy to come and all that? So I spoke to Donny and I said, "Look, there's an opportunity. If because if it were going to be just till the end of the year, I said to Fordy, no. I said if it's eighteen months, I said then obviously I'll, I'll go back and speak to to Donny and say I'd appreciate the release. And Donny were great. Um, Carl, absolute champion bloke, uh, and obviously Rich Arnold. Is the coach and um, they said, Yeah, if you've got an opportunity to go and move on to the next stage of your career, then that's absolutely fine. We won't stand in your way, off you go. So, um, I finished at Doncaster, it was probably mid July. Uh, and my first game as assistant, although I weren't involved in the build up to it, were around about the 18th of July. We're a Monday night game that we're playing. Uh, uh, I feel like it was Batley or Sheffield got beat anyway um, and then it went from there so from, from July until whenever it was when Ford he said he was leaving leaving by the end of the season and I was like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> <laughs> I would enjoy myself at Donny yes I'm 39 I would have probably gone around again this year at Donny to, to keep playing I'm really enjoying it but obviously 18 month contract in a coaching role under James Ford who were obviously a well-respected young English coach. Um, but yeah, it's not a bad move for me, this. And then Ford said, look, mate, it's me and chairman are butting heads. Um, there's an opportunity for me to go to Wakefield. So I'm sorry, mate, but I'm, go- I'm going. Mm-hmm. I'm like, All right, down. So obviously I spoke, spoke to chairman at, at York and I just said, where does this leave me? Uh, and it was, it, was, it was quite fair. He said, look, he said, I'm probably going to want somebody a bit more experienced. Uh, to come in um, and um, he might want to bring his own staff he might be happy to keep you on but um, we'll just see how that pans out and we'll take it from there 
he said, but don't worry, I won't see you, uh, you know, if we can help you get another club or whatever, we'll help you out with all that kind of stuff. Um, and then obviously Andrew Anderson came in, never got a phone call from him, never got <laughs> never got so much as a text from him, just got a phone call off chairman. And, and I would have been disappointed with that because I know Endo to the, the degree where if I saw him, I would, hey, Endo, how are you doing, mate? It wouldn't be like, yeah, let's go for a pint, how are you doing, how are you, you know, missing and all that, but it would be, very amicable and I just thought he might have had the decency to ring me and just say look mate just so you know I'm, I'm going to be bringing my own staff in um, people that I know and I've worked with or whatever didn't get any of that just got a phone call off chairman saying oh uh, Endo wants to bring his own staff in now whether chairman said to Endo don't worry about it I'll deal with that is you know whatever so um, I said right I said well I'm contracted till November 2023 so what we're going to do um, and then we we came to an agreement where um, the continued payment, which I thought I thought was, I thought were very fair of them. Um, it were obviously not to the the end of my contract, but so we came to a fair agreement, and uh, and that way that kind of just parted ways that way. And then after that, I just thought to myself, can't be asked for any more rugby league at the minute. Mm. Just focus on the stuff that I'm doing outside of sport, which is going pretty well. So. They're all good. They'll knock that money off Kermo's wage, mate. So yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe so. Yeah, <laughs> maybe so. So what have you been doing now, then? What's to earn? What's two thousand twenty-three? What sort of business are you in? Are you still well, in the health industry? No. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, nothing with any nutrition companies. Um, I actually do. I spend a lot of time in the gym as a personal trainer, but I do a lot of online stuff. So I have people that I just send online programs and catch up with them via uh, things like Zoom or whatever, just to, to do a check-in as they call it, just to see how they're getting on and whatnot. Um, and then I do, uh, I'm, I'm into cryptocurrency, so I'm, I'm trading that and investing in there. And that my alarm, at the beginning of this podcast, uh, my alarm are going off because I were a trade I needed to exit and I've not exited it. So if it's gone down, I'm going to blame you boys if I've lost money because that would be, that, that, that would be cash out point. But uh so yeah, so that's what I'm doing, uh, and I'm spending a hell of a lot of time with my kids as well. Over four and two, which is just unbelievable. So I'm in a real, real good position. Um, got a real good balance between work and family life, um, and I'm happy and healthy. So that's that's all that matters. Brilliant, mate. If it's less than a million, mate, we'll refund you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll look after you. Last question from me, mate. I always ask the same one. Do you keep your memorabilia? Have you got your England shirt? Have you got your winners' medals? Because you've had a couple of Division One medals. Yeah, I've got I've got a tumbler in me in my corner cupboard. There, it's the two thousand six uh, pint pot uh, promotion winning cup. I was, it might be the man of the match cup. So I'm matching that promotion winning thing. But I've also we were just talking about this earlier because I've got um we're obviously going to Wembley at the weekend mm. and I was gonna dig out my promotion with my first OKR shirt and see if I can actually get it on because I was probably about eighty kilos then and I'm around eighty seven and a half now. So I was gonna dig that out and stick that on and if it weren't too tight, if it looks like it's painted on, I won't bother, but um they're all boxed up or bagged up in, in garage. So I'm gonna go out there uh, probably tomorrow morning. Um, and then the Wakefield shirts, uh, they are they will be in amongst all that as well. I've got all my shirts, all my playing shirts. I only give the odd one or two away, um, but I've kept pretty much all of them. 
Superb. Benny, 376 first grade games, 150 tries, 656 points, 232 games for, for Rovers, but 56 for Trinity, obviously what we focused on, mate. Any 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 regrets from your career? Any anything you're really proud of? What how would you kind of sum up your career in, in one sentence? Definitely turbulent. Um and I just wish I had the head on my shoulders now that I've got now, when I was probably 22, 23. But life is what it is, isn't it? We uh, we live and learn. So um, I'm, I'm proud of my career. I'm proud of where my life's brought me to this point, not just, you know, rugby and so on. But I always think that if I didn't go through the things I've been through in my life, not just sport in my life, I wouldn't be where I am today. I probably wouldn't have met my wife, actually, if I, if I didn't um, go through that point of go getting bought back and going back to whole KR and so um so I, mean, I won't say I'm a, a big cliche man of things happen for a reason but you know a lot of things have happened in my life which wouldn't have happened if it weren't for certain things that happened in my rugby league career so a lot to be thankful for in the grand scheme of things Definitely. So, and just to round off, mate, I always like to live off this um, Chinese proverb that I learned a couple of months ago, and it's kind of a, a thing of if if you couldn't do it in the past, try it now. And it's the best time to plant a tree is twenty years ago, but the second best time to plant a tree is now. And that's what you've done. Obviously, you, you could have had the time earlier in your life, tried to reflect and try and build on it, but you built on it in 2011 and you build on it every year and you're carrying on building trees, mate. So it sounds like you're in a fantastic position now. You're a family man, you're a dad, you're a thriving businessman, a trader, an entrepreneur, um, and, a, and, a, and a legend of the game, a legend of Super League and a big Hulk AR favourite and a fan favourite down at Bellevue, mate. So thank you very much for coming on our podcast. Absolute pleasure, lads. Thanks for having me. It's been great. I've enjoyed it. Excellent. Thank you, everybody. To li- that's been listening to episode 107 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. You can find us on podcasting platforms worldwide and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for real-time updates on the podcast. Obviously, this has been a Wakefield Trinity Podcast, but we're all secret. Well, not Benny's not a secret OKR fan this weekend, but me and my dad are, are going to be cheering OKR down at Wembley uh, with his Trinity tops on as well. So I hope the Robins come on with a, the Challenge Cup win. Thank you very much to my co-host, Lee Robinson. Thank you once again to Ben Kane. I have been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Triscamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable.